You are listening to the Critical Mass Radio Show, Orange County's business talk show focused on exploring topics of interest to CEOs who are leading middle market companies with your host, Richard Franzi. And welcome to this edition of Critical Mass Radio Show and Podcast. I am your host, Richard Franzi, and this is podcast episode number 1,165. And it's going to be a good one, ladies and gentlemen. I'm super excited. You know, a person's success isn't the result of superhuman feats. It's the outcome of doing things that anyone can do, though most of us just don't. A key can be surrounding yourself with the right people. That's why I invited Leo Bateri, author of his second book, What Anyone Can Do, How Surrounding Yourself with the Right People Will Drive Change, Opportunity, and Personal Growth. I've invited him here to share more about his book and what he's learned in researching and writing this book. Leo, welcome back to Critical Mass Radio Show and Podcast. Oh, it's so great to be here, Rick. Thank you. Yeah, the pleasure's all mine. So, <laughs> um, before we get into the book, maybe you can just give us a little sense for what have you been doing since the last time you were on Critical Mass Radio Show talking about your first book. Sure. I've been speaking uh, quite a bit around the country, conducted a lot of workshops with CEO peer groups and peer groups for key executives uh, as well. Been incredible learning experience. I feel like on one hand, uh, we were doing uh, groups up self-assessments that were helping the group perform uh, at a higher level. And at the same time, I felt like I was the one learning every time sure. you know, I conducted one of those sessions and it was really wonderful. Um, also, um, led a podcast um, during 2017 called The Year of the Peer. Mm -hmm. And we kind of designated that, you know, the year of which we would kind of talk about the people that kind of helped us along our way uh, in life. And we had 50 guests from, you know, successful in all kinds of fields, and it was remarkable and learned a great deal from them. And it was really their voices and the evolution of the conversation from that podcast that led to the second book. Wow. Okay. So yeah. we were talking before the show started, you know, I'm all about learning about unintended consequences, and that sounds like a positive outcome from doing the radio show and the podcast. It really was. The first book, The Power of Peers, was about how and why formal peer groups work so well. And during the podcast, here I'm talking to these incredibly successful people, none of whom, of course, did did it alone. They didn't become right. uh, successful all by themselves. But uh, it was great to talk with them about how they engage not just their peers, but the full circle of people around them. It's their parents, their kids, their mentors, their teachers, you know, all of those kinds of, you know, people that comprise that circle we have. And also to look at how we enlist and engage those people, not just in a formal peer group setting, but each and every day mm -hmm. in our lives. And it was just such a rich experience. It seemed as if kind of the next book, as opposed to taking a deeper dive into formal peer groups, was okay. like, let's look at something that I think is far more accessible, quite frankly, for a lot of people. So how did you come up with the title? Ah, the title is from a 1976 book by Joe Henderson called The Long Run Solution. Okay. Joe Henderson has been an editor uh, at Runner's World and writer for over 30 years. He's written about two dozen books. And in this book, The Long Run Solution, he was talking about successful runners, but basically talking about successful people in general. Right, because life's a marathon. Yes, it is. And uh, But he was also basically saying, look, he said, you look at a lot of really successful people. It isn't because they can leap tall buildings in a single bound and they mm -hmm. can do superhuman things that none of us can do. He said, for them, m many of them do the things that anyone can do, but most of us never will. You know, we wow. just don't on a daily basis. You know, we we know we're supposed to do this every day, but we kind of left our own devices sometimes uh, 
don't always follow through on those things. Mm -hmm. And many of the people who are successful are the people who do it. And many of those people, as we discovered, surround themselves with people that help them make that possible. Okay. And so part of what anyone can do is all about, from my perspective, is that anyone can surround themselves with really good people. And when you do, they will help you do those things that anyone can do far more often. Isn't it also true that anybody can be one of those people that can help others? No question about it. In fact, you know, I think a big part of this book and a big part of what our guests in the podcast told us was, you know, sometimes we can't always pay it back to the people who helped us, but we can pay it forward to others. We can be part of someone else's circle or someone else's dream team to help them Mm -hmm. realize what they want. Mm -hmm from this one life that uh, we have to live, at least that we know of. And isn't, and, uh, isn't it really <clears throat> important for leaders of companies to take that attitude as well? Because their influence, it's sort of like a professional athlete. I love the stories of a professional athlete who shows up in a hospital unannounced and the, the way he maybe forever changes the kids' lives. They always have that story, you know, that they've met this guy and or lady, and it seems to me the leader has that disproportionate influence as well on their people. There's an incredible influence, and um, once the leader, I think, gives permission for his people to reach out to one another and reach out to the leader in order to be successful, it, it makes all the difference in the world. No question about as it. companies grow, unfortunately, one of the symptoms can be a silo culture where you know the departments become very proud of themselves and almost see the other departments not is the same as them. It's your concepts in this book and what you're talking about now. If you have that concept in the company, you really have a shared experience of all. There's a role for competition, certainly, but the the issue for collaboration, you know, is is really powerful. Think about sales teams, for example, right? Now, you can have a sales team where you're looking at the top salesperson, number two, number three, and that's all well and good. But at the same time, it's likely that you look at your team and you're going to have someone who is a really strong closer, someone who's Mm. really great at talking about a certain product, someone who's really good at prospecting, right? Right. To the extent that they can help one another and realize that rather than fight for their slice of the pie, they can work together to make the pie larger, Mm -hmm. uh, which is better for them, better for the organization. So we're not asking people to collaborate and help one another necessarily out of the goodness of their heart we're suggesting that this is bigger than that this is how you make things this is how you think in terms of abundance as far as um, as opposed to scarcity you know i'll come back to um the title of the book my son ran cross country in high school and we were so impressed with the type of kids that sign up for distance running it is a certain discipline that they all shared and the other thing that we noticed is regardless of when they came across the finish line they were all there for every member of their team. Yeah, and they push each other to be better, and they help each other be better. And I think that's a that's a real key. You know, in the workshops I've done this year, I talk a lot about the University of Connecticut women's basketball team. Mm-hmm. And you think about what separates them from everyone else in America in terms of women's college basketball, at least, if not a lot of other sports, when you look at the consistency with which they are just that much better uh, than everyone else. And it has so much to do with being a good teammate is really when you think about the kind of players that Gino Oriyama recruits mm-hmm. uh, to his team. When he looks at a kid playing high school basketball, for example, he's looking at the kid who, when they get taken out for a couple minutes in the game, are they the kid that just throws a towel over the head and just waiting to be called back in? Right. Or, are they, or are they a leader, even from the bench, you know, and yelling stuff out to their players and encouraging them and doing that? That kid gets to go to Connecticut. The other doesn't, no matter mm-hmm. how many points a game they can score. Culture. Culture is... it's. No question. Okay. I mean, people, let's face it, can be successful um, 
in one organization but go somewhere else and, and not be successful at all. Right. And I think it's incumbent upon companies to understand, and, and quite frankly, I think you can find it out from your own people to ask them, what do you think it takes to be successful in this organization? What do you think that looks like? What's the difference between those who make it and those who don't? Mm. And they'll give you a really good sense of that. If you're open to it. Yes. You have to be able to ask the question, want to ask the question, and want to hear the answer. <laughs> Regardless, right. Because some of it may be difficult to hear. Yeah. Because the culture sometimes is heavily defined by the leadership. Yeah, exactly. And, uh, and the rank and file have a hard time changing the culture if the leadership doesn't want to change. Who did you write this book for? You know, I really, um, I think the more that I talk to the guests in the podcast, the more I realized that being our best self and realizing that we matter is really essential. You know, one of my podcast guests from uh, 2017 was Angela Myers, and she does a lot of work on mattering. And it's really kind of fascinating where I think, you know, even CEOs have, have done peer groups with CEOs where, you know, uh, some CEOs will question whether their attendance is particularly important. You know, they're paying the dues, they're doing whatever. If they can make it, they can make it. If they don't, they don't. And yet they don't realize that when you consider a group like that, it's it's like an ensemble. You start pulling instruments away and the music mm. changes. Mm -hmm. And I think it's very much the same there. I had one CEO, for example, who, you know, said to me, ah, you know, I'm just going to get there when I get there. It makes, you know, this eloquent speech about, you know, uh, how much he mattered in that meeting. And then, of course, I said, well, okay, I hear you. And then I went around to everyone in the room and I said, I want you to give me 30 seconds and tell me what's missing from the meeting when, when this guy doesn't show up. He was practically in tears after wow. he heard everyone talking. And, and in fairness, I said to him, if I did that with everyone else in the room, it would have been the same reaction. We don't always understand. We're in that room for a reason, and we matter. And the moment we understand that we matter, our life matters, and that when we're our best self, we can uh, be that much more helpful to others around us, mm -hmm. that's, a, that's powerful. When you think about for companies today, helping people be their best selves as individuals so that they're in that position where, you know, I write in the book that it's not unlike the airline safety instructions when they tell you to put the oxygen mask on yourself before attempting to help others. Right. Uh, there's a reason for that. You know, we are better equipped to do that when we're breathing the air comfortably, and then we can calmly help more people more effectively. Mm -hmm. So do you feel this book builds on your first book, or does this book take a different approach to peers and peer learning and peer influence? I think I think both. I think on one hand, it takes a bit of a different direction because we expand it in terms of the circle people, and we take it largely outside of the formal space. However, we do talk a lot about uh, the formal space as well, and I think there's a lot of this book that informs the last book. But again, I think this book for many people who aren't part of a formal peer group, but have experienced what the University of Scranton says that 92% of people who, when they declare a New Year's resolution, fail at it, might want to read 92%. this book. 92%. Yes. And, and they might want to read this book and figure out why and how they cannot fail at it if they're truly interested in accomplishing what they want. And so the big idea, <laughs> the big idea behind the book is? I think it's um, the big idea is really at the end where we talk about engaging and having a people plan. You know, I mean, it isn't just 
well, I'm just going to start involving people and that's that. I think you've got to have a strategy about it. And I think part of it is identifying that one person that you have in your life where you're willing to talk about what is it that I really want? Because having clarity on that is essential. Think about the fact that if I want to run a marathon versus the fact that I may want to learn a new language, I'm going to surround myself with different people to help me make that possible, right? right. So the greater clarity I have about what I want to do Surround myself with people to make that possible. So the people plan basically is uh, prepare, plan, and play. You know, a little bit of alliteration there, but uh -huh. it's also um, this idea of I'm going to prepare by getting a clear sense of, of what I want to do. Um, you know, I want to plan by using my dream team, right, because I want to recruit people that can help me do what I want to do uh, to help have them help me put together a specific plan and then be open to changing that plan, you know, as I go along. Make sure the plan is, is right for you um, and make sure also that you are seeing things in terms of not just the big goal all the time, but looking at where the short-term wins are, mm -hmm. the kinds of things that give me energy all along the way to do that. And then, you know, play becomes this issue of making sure that people realize that this isn't drudgery, you know, having to accomplish a goal, right? I mean, we can, right. you know, reach out to others. We can have fun with it. Uh, we can help others, you know, do what they're doing. And I think most of all, and I go back to all of the podcast guests we had, if you asked any one of them if they arrived, if they achieved success, success is a journey. It's not a destination. And I think the more that we are about, how do I just be committed to just getting better, Mm -hmm. all the time, each and every day. And this is where this becomes, you know, ongoing. But, you know, not unlike what we talked about in The Power of Peers, where if you are more selective, strategic, and structured about how you engage the people around you, you can make some really special things happen. So a couple thoughts, Leo. This, did you find that success requires a certain amount of vulnerability? No the, question about it. On the part it. of the individual? Sure. Just think about the initial conversation you might have with someone where you want to say to them, I want to change the world, and such, and and with with the fear of having someone say, "Really, right? Like, you, <laughs> you, <laughs> exactly." Yeah, right. So the, you bet. There's a lot of vulnerability. And there's a lot of courage, um, but I also think with that comes a bit of generosity. I think when we do that, we also give permission for others, you know, to do the same. And I think it's it's really powerful when we are vulnerable in that regard. Well, you know, as you <clears throat> said that, what I actually, the image I got was when a young child innocently says some dream they have to an adult or an authority figure, and unknowingly, or maybe knowingly, unfortunately, that authority figure just undermines their confidence completely. Yeah, yeah. And sometimes they, they carry that for a long time. You know, Angela Myers, in the work I'd mentioned that she does on, um, you know, mattering, basically says that up until about the age of five, kids don't, we're not taught limits. We're not taught, you know, they, they just think they can do anything. Right. Uh, they are taught that they can't. Wow. Yeah. And that's unfortunate. And, it, and it's by about age eight, where the kid raises his hand in school and asks a question, and the teacher says a little something that embarrasses the kid for asking the question to begin with. And um, I remember I did it when I was in elementary school. I asked a question when um, a teacher was making the claim that, you know, there's no possibility for life on other planets because there's not enough oxygen. And I'm like, what if there's some like little kid somewhere that can breathe nitrogen? And she looked at me like I was an idiot. And, <laughs> and, and you know, now I realize who the idiot was. You know? right. but, but in that moment, I was, I was just wrecked. I mean, she just really gave me a bad time for how, what a stupid question that was right. at the time. It, and uh, and I, I, 
you know, I certainly don't mean to, um, that's, that is a story, and it's some stories that others shared actually in the podcast as sure. well. However, I, I think obviously teachers do a pretty remarkable job My in wife's terms one. of helping, yes. helping build us up and help us realize our dreams as well. But I, I think it just gives us some caution as to words matter and, and they're powerful and they can be searing. You know, yes. in many respects, especially for, for all of us, let alone, you know, a young kid. So let's look at the other side of that coin. Words can be empowering. Having someone have faith in you, more faith than you have in yourself, because they believe you can. I'm sure we all have someone in our life, professionally or personally, who creates a better version of ourselves. We want to be that person that they see in us. You know, that's a the great example um, that I'll offer about that is um, in the doctoral program that I participated in at Northeastern University. It wasn't that look to your left, look to your right. You know, X one you're going to fail and those kind of nonsense. It was like they they looked at everyone in that room and says, "You are here for a reason. We're going to help help each other be successful. Wow. All of you are going to graduate. Wow, life is going to." get in the way every once in a while, but we're going to be there for each other. That's and a Effectively cohort. saying that we're going to be a family, and we're going to help each other, and we're all going to succeed, and we're all going to... And we believed in one another. We believed in ourselves. And I would argue that um, had you taken the other approach, not nearly as many people would have gone through the program as successfully as they did. Right. So we many times in, in the zeitgeist of the American culture, we view this entrepreneur as this solo, singular figure who yeah. is... no. Right, <laughs> right, and and I interviewed a number of uh, entrepreneurs for the podcast. And again, if you asked them if you've gotten where you are all by yourself, they laughed. Every every person, you right. know, at, at the suggestion of that. We we all we need one another, um, and I think it's essential uh, part of um, you know how we grow and how we can be successful and happy for that matter. Who should read your book? Besides everybody. Besides everybody, because it's everybody. what anyone can do. If you're anyone, you can. Anyone can read it. Uh, if you can read, okay, then that's then the first qualifier. Yes, that's the first qualifier. Is this an audio book? Uh, yes, it will be. So, okay, um, you don't even have to be able to read. That. And um, but um, no, I think that this is a, a, a strong book. I think for leaders and aspiring leaders. I Why? think if you because I think this idea of helping people be their best selves and being committed to being your best self if you're that aspiring leader and understanding how to do it and realizing that engaging others, being vulnerable, and enlisting people's support is a powerful roadmap uh, to, to getting what you want from life and helping others do the same. So from a generational perspective, do you feel this type of leader that you write about in this book is more appropriate for the future generations as well? Is that a more appropriate leader for what we believe to be millennials and follow-on generations? Uh, it, it's certainly appropriate for the future, and and I think intuitively we always felt that that's how companies should have been led all right, along instead right. of being beaten to death, you know. Um, but yeah. Okay. And, and <laughs> did, you, did you find or in your work any difference between male leaders and female leaders in this area of looking for collaboration and building teams? No. Okay. I, and, 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 but I'm not going to suggest that we took a deep dive into that okay. either. Okay. Um, but, um, but there certainly wasn't anything that presented itself in any way that was glaring in terms of... But emotional um, intelligence has got to be a, 
a, a strong element of what we're talking about here, no right? No question. Yep. Because you you got to be self-aware. Yes. To start with. Yes. And also understand your impact that you're having on people. Yeah, you've got to have the ability to reflect and um, and be able to have honest conversations with others and mm-hmm. really be able to engage in that kind of dialogue. People that are on sports teams, is this a book that you would recommend? Really? Yes. Okay. Again, I, th- I think you become your best self when you understand how to go about, you know, engaging others. And um, and your role in the team. Yes. Right? Yeah. Well, everybody, no about everybody can't be the point guard. No. Think about that. I mean, and that's a great example. When you think about a pickup basketball team, you need, you need someone who's tall. You need people who can pass, people who can shoot, people who can break. You know, all of that. There's all of these different roles. And uh, you have to trust one another that... Uh, you can fulfill those roles. And I think what we definitely see with really strong groups and really strong teams is this idea of not accountability from the perspective of being held accountable in that defensive you know, yeah, kind of that, way, that can have a but much more about accepting personal responsibility for my role on that team and realizing that my currency with everyone else that I'm working with is about me showing up and bringing my A game every single day. Mm-hmm. And that that's what that's about, and that's how we're going to be successful, and that's how we're going to accomplish more together than any of us ever could by ourselves. Well, well Patrick Lencioni in his book, The Five Dysfunctions of a Team, talks about trust as being kind of the foundation. But not too far up the pyramid, you get to accountability, which leads to commitment. Because you can't, right, and, and the point of, of that pyramid that you talk about is without the trust, you'll never get to that place of, um, of accountability. And, but, but I also think about it in terms of Puzzy Salberg, who used to be the head of the school system in Finland, who basically says that in the Finnish language, there is no direct translation for the word accountability. He said it's, accountability is what's left over when someone's sense of personal responsibility gives way. Mm. And I think it's kind of a fascinating way to think about it, and I think it's a more empowering way to think about us holding ourselves accountable and feeling personally responsible instead of feeling like, you know, there's someone with, you know, whips and chains, you know, holding us, you know, uh, accountable for goals when when we ourselves know. We know where we have to be. We're going to get there. We're accountable to our team members, and we're going to make that happen. Mm -hmm. So have you had experience? I know the book hasn't been out that long, but have you had experience with the IP that's in the book and helping leadership teams and organizations to kind of think through what you're talking about in the book? I think that um, the workshops that I spent a lot of time doing last um, year with uh, peer groups around the country, I think, tested many of these things, which gave me a good uh, feel for it. But I really see the next evolution of this is taking it out of the peer group space and looking at teams inside companies and how to take a lot of these principles and put them into teams. So the group, you know, we define the difference between a group and a team, obviously, as a group is are people who come together to help one another accomplish their individual goals where a team is there to achieve a collective goal. Okay. And so, um, so yeah, I'm looking forward in, in 2019 to be working with a lot of companies and getting them involved in helping their people and helping their teams become their very best. I'd like to introduce you to uh, an organization here in Orange County that's run by uh, one of the co-founders of Tilly's, the clothing company, because sure. they're doing things in high school to help students understand they control their own destiny. They're they're not a victim of their circumstances. Right. They're empowered. I think what you're talking about here, there's a lot of overlap there. So if, if you don't mind, I'd like to make an introduction. I would be very Because I could see this being powerful in, in school too, right? Absolutely. Not just in business. Right. Because there are there are all kinds of self 
form teams and groups that exist in Cause, school. Because they're anyone. Right. And yeah. school sometimes can have the <laughs> hardest right pl- groups to break into right. and to be collaborative. Exactly. So if someone would like to buy your book, What Anyone Can Do, here's the for those of you that are watching us either live on the video feed or later on YouTube, hopefully you can see the book. The glare is a little bit strong, I can see, but it's a beautiful very beautifully designed. I, you were Mark. You, Ryan you, Folan did the illustrations, Ryan. by the way, and he, he was Orange amazing. County boy. Yeah, he's he, Ryan Folan did an awesome job. Well, that is uh, with great. the illustrations. Yeah, he's hey, great. He and I, of course, lived an hour from each other, but we met in Portugal. So <laughs> it was the funniest thing. And now we're we're good friends. He's a great guy, very talented guy, great speaker. Yes. Um, and also a wonderful cartoonist, okay. as you'll find out. So, what is the purpose of the Rubik's cube? Or the cube that's on the cover. I think it just represents kind of the challenges that we have in our life. Mm-hmm. Yeah, figuring it out. Yeah, getting the puzzle to work. You bet. How do they people? How will people find this book? Where should they go? Amazon, Barnes and Noble, LeoBatari.com, C-Suite Network, Bookstore. Uh, you name it, you can find it. This is a beautiful. Congratulations on your second book. I'm sure you're probably thinking about where do you where do you take the brand next. And thank you for making a positive difference for so many people with the work that you do and oh, the and message you, you deliver. Well, thank you. You need to say that, but thank you back. <laughs> I really consider you a friend and watched your career. And as you've been doing this as a thought leader, this is awesome. And I'm glad uh, there's been such a positive response to everything that you're doing. Wonderful. Well, thank you for having me today. Oh, thanks for being a friend of the program and you a bet. part of the Critical Mass community, my friend. You bet. All right. Don't don't rush, but hurry and get a copy of your book. This might be a great holiday gift for that busy business leader who might have some time over the holidays to come back a little bit of a changed person, possibly, in a positive way for your organization. So uh, thank you, Leo. Thank you, Paul, for being a great engineer for today's show. And the three producers without whom we could not do this show, Joan Park, Crystal Nunley, and Haley Stern. If you'd like to connect with me, let's start on LinkedIn. I'm Richard Franzi, F-R-A-N-Z-I. And until our next show, I hope all of your business decisions will move your company in a positive direction. You have been listening to Critical Mass Radio Show Business Talk Show, focused on exploring topics of interest to CEOs who are leading middle market companies. With your host, Richard Franzi. 